0: Well, I don't know if you've heard but apparently there is a little musical gathering in town this weekend. <laughs> it's down, you know, close to downtown, a little thing they call ACL Festival. And some of the most influential, some of the greatest artists of our day and age will be playing in our city over the next Over this weekend and next weekend, 75,000 people a day. Just let that sink in for a second. 75,000 people. Almost double what's here this morning. 75,000 people. Because nobody would skip church because of ACL. But over 75,000 people from Jay-Z to Spoon, from Asleep at the Wheel to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Down there at Zilker Park, they will be celebrating music. Now, what's interesting about this is that, you know, we know Austin, of course, is the live music capital of the world. You see that when you land or, you know, when you take off from the airport here, and we've known it for years. But what's really funny about the ACL Festival is that a lot of people will go to the festival for reasons that have nothing to do with music. Let's just say that there are some extracurricular activities that go on at ACL Festival. And, and it happens not just at ACL Festival. It happens at Coachella. It happens at the, the Granddaddy of them all, Lollapalooza. You know, there are a lot of people that go to festivals, music festivals, but not for the music. Now... If you think I'm about to go off on a a rant against the evils of rock and roll, that is not what this is. I love me some rock and roll. But, everybody say but. But. I want you to think about something for a second. What if you had no experience whatsoever with music? What if you had never heard, you'd never been moved, like, like we were just moved here in this room. You'd never heard music, but you were suddenly dropped in the middle of the ACL Festival, 75,000 people around you, loud, Jay-Z on the stage, going at it. And somehow above the noise and the the crowd, somebody looked at you and went, man, this is what music is all about. (laughs) Now if you had no context, if you had no understanding whatsoever, you might think to yourself, well, if I ever want to experience music again, I'm going to need to be outside, tens of thousands of people with me, Jay-Z on the stage singing, that, that, that funny little incense or aroma that I'm picking up, and that, that is music. It would be, it would be easy to make that assumption. Every single one of us, no matter where you are in your life, understands that confusion. Because every single one of us understands what it's like to allow the periphery to cloud the center. If you're a longtime follower of Jesus, you've been around for a while, you understand really, really well what it's like to allow kind of the trappings of religion or or some man-made attachments to become a man-made distraction from the actual essence of the gospel. If you're here today and you are not a follower of Christ, you're kind of maybe kicking the tires, looking under the hood and checking it out, but so far you kind of kept it at arm's length, I would suggest to you that maybe what you've actually been keeping at arm's length are those distractions, those, those man-made attachments to the Christian faith rather than the actual Christian faith itself. And it's this dynamic and this confusion that is one of the primary reasons God, in his, in his amazing grace and in his infinite wisdom, has chosen to give us the Bible because part of what the scriptures do is they allow, us, they allow us to navigate between the non-negotiables and the needless. They, they, they help us to discern between the trivial and, and, the, and the just kind of really, really essentials of the Christian faith. And that's part of why we started this series last weekend called Vinyl, Life in Hi-Fi. We we want to take a look at what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus, specifically a high-fi follower of Jesus. High-fi meaning high fidelity, ultimate fidelity and faithfulness to the original who is Jesus himself. And to do this, we're using the book of Ephesians throughout this series as kind of our guide to high-fi living as a follower of Christ. If you've got your Bibles with you, I want you to look in Ephesians chapter number one. Now, as you're looking at Ephesians or looking for Ephesians in your Bible, whether it's on your phone or in an actual book, Ephesians is, is essentially, it's, it's God's essay on the essentials. It, it lays out for us what is essential to the Christian faith. It, it's, a, it's a massive help in stripping away any distractions Any of those man-made attachments that I talked about just a second ago. And the beautiful thing about Ephesians is it's really, as you read through the book of Ephesians, it's almost like a letter from a parent to a child. Because in a very real way, that's what it is. The Apostle Paul is writing to this fledgling congregation there in the center of commerce, that city known as Ephesus. And he's explaining and he's expounding on how the gospel, the good news of Jesus is lived in and also lived out of the lives of individual followers and the church as a whole. And as such, because it is in the Bible, we know that God made sure that this letter, which was inspired by the Holy Spirit, was included in the canon and and protected down through the years through the communication and the translation and the transmission. And it's because of God's will and his amazing grace that we even have this letter as a help as we navigate between the non-negotiables and the needless. In verse 17 of chapter 1, you see this kind of loving, paternal Paul as he's writing to the church at Ephesus. Look at what he says. Verse 17, he says, I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you Spiritual wisdom and insight, so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope He has given to those that He called His holy people, who are His rich and glorious inheritance. He says, I want you to have this this spiritual wisdom and insight. I want you you to have a deep understanding of the knowledge of God. Because ultimately, it's about knowing God. Jesus said in John chapter 17, This is salvation, that they might know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's what salvation means. It's not being a good guy, it's not going to church four out of five Sundays in a row, it is knowing God. But Paul says, I want you to have a spiritual insight that comes from God so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. This is necessary in any relationship that you will ever have over time. Now, if you're just making an acquaintance, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. You don't need any wisdom and insight for that. You need wisdom and insight for a long haul relationship. How many of you are married? Let me see just see a show of hands if you're married in the house. Okay. If you're married, I've heard it helps to have wisdom. I've heard that it helps to be wise about the person you're married to, to to know how they're gonna respond so that you help set them up for a win. Julie and I have been blissfully married for 26 years, and here's what's really interesting. She is not the same person I married, somewhere along the way she had the audacity to change. She had the sheer audacity to be different today than she was 26 years ago. So what that means is just about the time that I thought, that I thought I was figuring some things out, she changed on me and I had to step back and go, God, I need wisdom. God, I I need some insight. But here's something else I know to be true. I'm not the same guy that she married 26 years ago. I mean, 26 years ago, I was skinny. 26 years, I didn't have the shoulders I have today. I have changed. I have changed. Relationships are dynamic. Relationships are dynamic and they require wisdom over time to grow in your knowledge of the other person, to grow in your understanding, to grow in your insight. I figured something out about Julie about nine years ago. For those of you scoring at home, that's 17 years into the marriage. Julie processes verbally So when she's got a problem or she's got an issue that she's wrestling with, she talks it out. And she doesn't want me to fix it. She doesn't. She wants to, she's talking it out. She's thinking it through. And the second I start to offer a solution, in love, as a hubs, she immediately feels like I'm trying to shut down the conversation and not talk about it anymore. Some of you women, it's so funny, y'all are not like, mm-hmm. <laughs> but when I figured out she was processing and not asking for a solution, oh, <laughs> game changer. All of a sudden, I could go, yeah, I know. That, I hear you. Man, I don't know, how do you feel about that? And all of a sudden, she started to feel like I loved her more. Now, I didn't love her anymore. I had just grown in some wisdom and insight so that I might grow in my knowledge of her. The same thing is true in our relationship with God. We must grow in wisdom and insight that we don't have in and of ourselves so that we might grow in our knowledge of God. But Paul's not done there. Look at what he says in verse 19. He said, I also... Pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realm. So Paul says, I don't want you to just know of God. I I don't want you to just grow in your wisdom and insight so that you can leave it here. He goes, I want you to grow in your experience of his power. I I want that to be a part of your lives. And when we think about being high-fi followers of Jesus, highly faithful followers, what Paul is showing us here biblically is that God fuels our faithfulness with wisdom from him, knowledge of him, and power through him. So we get this wisdom of God from him. And so we begin to understand him. We understand how he's created this world and our lives and who we are and how that interacts and works together better. But then as we get that wisdom from him, that expands our knowledge of him. And we begin to understand and know him better and how he operates. And we we cling to that which we know to be true and what is real. And it's because of that wisdom and that knowledge that then we get the power that comes through him. And that power permeates every part of our lives. Every relationship, every business, every parenting opportunity. Every recreational pursuit, all of it flows out of the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, this is the beginning of Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus. It's the beginning of of how Jesus turns our lives and our hearts toward him. But then Paul moves into chapter 2 and he he begins to, to get at The single greatest expression of the power of God that has ever been known. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, the Bible says this. This is from the New Living Translation. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. This understanding of grace is so essential, so foundational. Paul says, before you take a single step in this new understanding and wisdom and knowledge of God, know this. God saves you. God did it. You didn't do it. I didn't do it. None of God's children got saved by themselves. God did it. And it's grace that helps us to understand exactly what it means when it says God saves us. This is kind of a loaded term. We've used it so much that it's kind of lost its meaning or its power. When it says that God saves us, that's exactly what it means. God, in his grace, saves us people from death, from spiritual death. You see, when I choose sin, when you you choose sin, what that means by definition is we are choosing to walk away from God who is the author of all life, biological but also spiritual life, what the Bible calls the life that is truly life. And so when I choose sin on one hand, that means by definition I am stepping away from life. The life God created me for, the life God offers, the life God sustains, all of it. And I'm stepping toward death. And ultimately, sin or separation from God is death. Not just physical death, but but a spiritual death that happens. So Jesus did not die on the cross and rise again so that we could be nice people be a good guy. Be a good girl. No. Jesus' death and resurrection accomplishes salvation. It means saving us literally from death. Jesus offers us a lifeline and rescues us from the precipice of death itself. Now, this is not like a real happy kind of thing, but but it's It's imperative that we understand that and it becomes happy in the light of grace because when you understand what salvation really means, then you understand how amazing grace really is. And and you step back and you go, man, I I, I didn't even know. I didn't even know I was was moving towards death And, and Jesus threw that lifeline and pulled it. He saved my life. He saved me. But you see, our tendency is to think that we played a role in that. We like to take credit for stuff, don't we? How many of you are husbands? Let me just see a show of hands if you're a husband. Men, don't we do this? Hey, uh, honey, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, I changed the windshield wipers on your car for you. (laughs) You know, uh, just I don't know if you noticed this, but trash is outside. Love you. We like to take credit for stuff. Now, ladies, don't get too smug. We know know intuitively, but we also know objectively from observation that you are smarter and you work harder than we do. But it's possible for y'all to like to take credit too. So we all have this kind of built inside of us. But grace, grace helps us to realize that when it comes to our salvation, being forgiven of every single sin, every single tendency away from God, it is by grace and grace alone that we have been saved so that no one can boast, nobody. Say, well, I mean, Jesus saved me, but I mean, I'm just being honest, keeping it real. I'm really a pretty good guy. No, no, no. You can do nothing to earn the favor of God. It is a gift. Nothing. To even be aware of our need for grace requires grace. So that no one can boast. This is one of the greatest gifts God has ever given us. Because grace suffocates entitlement. Grace suffocates entitlement. Where grace abounds, there can be no room for entitlement. For feeling like, you know, I'm gonna sit. Have you ever been to a church and like you sat down, you're visiting and you sit down in a pew, it's usually a pew or maybe a chair, and, and somebody walks up and they go, you're in my seat. That, that happens. That's part of the fun of having a pretty young church. We, none of us have been around long enough to have a seat. But it, but it happens. And when that kind of stuff goes on, whether it's in a church or in the marketplace or in a home, it's always because folks have lost sight or they've never understood grace Grace, it's a gift. I didn't deserve it. You don't deserve it. None of us deserve the grace of God. If we deserve grace, it wouldn't be amazing. And by the way, it's the fact of Jesus' salvation, his saving of us, that makes grace so amazing. If Jesus was just saving us from a bad day, grace wouldn't be that amazing. We kind of, okay, thanks. Today was a little bit better than it should have been, but I appreciate you. But no, he saved me from death. Now, grace is amazing. And when you understand the depth and the breadth and the richness of God's grace, it just suffocates entitlement. Entitlement in our lives, in our homes. Look at what the Bible says. Paul goes on in verse 14. He says, now it's important for you, but it's important for everyone. Verse 14, he says, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Now, in our context, 2017, it's hard for us to understand the depth of the hostility that existed between Jews and Gentiles. They hated each other. I don't mean like they they didn't like to eat together. I mean, they didn't travel the same roads as one another. And Paul says that because of grace and the suffocation of entitlement, these two groups of people who hated each other, have not just been brought to the peace table, they have been united in Christ. That because of Jesus, the ground at the foot of the cross is level and there's no longer Jew nor Greek, male nor female, free nor slave, that we are all covered under the grace of Jesus Christ. How desperately do we need this message in our world right now? We live in a world where everything's polarized. It's polarized. It's Republican, Democrat. Listen, in God's economy, to be a high five follower of Christ, there are two kinds of people in the world, saved and not. That's the deal. And it breaks my heart as a pastor, as your pastor, when I see people I know posting online and dividing people, the grace of Jesus unites us. It unites us. I've got friends on the left side of the political spectrum who send me, I'm talking about people people who make Castro look conservative. They'll send me an email, did you see this? You need to talk about this on Sunday. Thanks. I've got friends over here on the other end of the spectrum, Republican, I mean, they make Ronald Reagan look like Bernie Sanders. And they'll send me in, you won't believe this. You should talk about this on Sunday. Thanks. As if this group and this group think I'm on both their sides. And I am, not politically, but spiritually, we are on everybody's side. And the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ is so much bigger than a donkey or an elephant. If you wanna divide people online, don't tell them you go to church here. Get your act together and live in the grace of God. I'm tired of it. Now, let me say this too. You best be participating in the process. We are absolutely called to be salt and light. Participate in the process, but participate under the blanket of grace because no one can boast. You see, part of the reason that that kind of dividing breaks my heart is not just because it's divisive. But because the person who's trying to divide like that is ultimately acting out of fear. It, it breaks my heart for that person. Because what they're saying is that we, us, in this camp, as opposed to them over there. <laughs> if you can demonize them, then by definition, you're lionizing us. You're saying we are right. They are wrong. They're wrong. We good. They bad. Here's the good news. We're all bad. We're bad. (laughs) Tell your neighbor right now like you mean it. We bad. We're all bad at the foot of the cross. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All You don't get an exemption from that, cuz. I don't get an exemption. I'm, listen, listen. There's some things that I do well, some things. I I love music, I can't sing. I can talk in front of people. But some things I'm great at and I never took a class. I can be selfish like that. I mean drop of I I don't even have to warm up or stretch. I'm good at it. Men? How many of you ever took a class to learn how to lust? Let me just see a show of hands. I mean, it's just, it's in us. Ladies, you got your own stuff, but I'm just saying, we it's there in us because we are spiritual descendants of Adam and Eve. We're born with this junk in us. And it's death. Grace unites what entitlement divides. The grace of God penetrates every part of our lives. And when we start to understand that, when we start to live in that, we we look at each other differently. We we see each other. Ain't no black or white, rich or poor. Poor. Fat or Mac? I'm just kidding. I mean, there's not. There's lost, and there's found. There's there's dead, and there's alive. And everything else is a distraction. If you're here today and you've you've never stepped into that life, you've never received that amazing grace, the only advantage that we have over you who have done that, the only advantage we have is somebody just told us a little bit sooner. The only advantage we have is that we get to tell you you can have this amazing grace. You, you can live the life that is truly life. And it's not too far away. The Bible says it's not so far up in heaven that we have to ask, who will go to heaven and get it? It's not so far away that we would ask, who has to go across the ocean and bring it back? No, no, no. It's there to receive. Like, kind of like you receive a gift. It's a gift. I wanna ask you if you would bow your heads for just a moment. And I wanna ask you, if no no one moving around for any reason, please, if you don't mind, so that you're not a distraction from what God is doing in somebody's life right now. But if you're here and you wanna step into that grace, pray. Pray a prayer of beginning and just, just talk to God silently right where you are, just from your heart to his, silently just say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I know I need grace. And now in your grace, I understand I need your grace. and I commit my life to you. I will follow you from this moment forward. I confess my sin to you in order to claim your forgiveness. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. If you would just hold this moment and remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If that was your prayer, this is a sacred ground moment for you. And as a church family, we wanna help in any way that we can. So I wanna ask you to do just a couple of things before you leave today. Number one, if you would just let us know that you responded to God's grace on that connect card that's in your program, just right now, right where you're sitting, just fill that out. And and right below kind of the halfway point on that page, there's a place to indicate, I committed my life to Christ. If you would fill that out, tear it off at the perforation that's there on the fold, and just on your way out in just a moment, hand it to one of our ushers, one of our hosts. And then the second thing I want to ask you to do as we remain in this sacred moment is just to raise your hand, just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a second. And as you hold that hand up, you're kind of stamping this moment in your life that it's real, that it happened October the 8th, 2017. ACL weekend, number one. But it's forever and it's real. But you also stamp this moment in the life of this church because there's nothing more important to us as a family than having one of our own turn for home. And so as a family, we welcome that. We honor that. We celebrate that as you put your hands down We put our hands together to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.